Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. So, before we get into our last night of Jonah, let me ask a question. What is mercy? How would you define mercy? And if you don't want to define it, somebody just look it up on Google and give me the definition. I've got my mind how I describe it. How would you describe mercy? Anybody have mercy as part of your name? No mercies in here? Perfect. Perfect. That's exactly how I would, I'd use that same definition. Mercy is when you don't get something that you deserve. So, you know, you can go through and think about times that, you know, you could have, you know, punished your kids and you didn't. Uh, you know, mercy is when you know that they deserve it or you know you deserve it, but it doesn't happen. Okay? Now, give you one more minute. I want you to spell out another word. Okay? I want to talk about the nuance of what the difference is. You got it. Word is, I'm going to give you another minute. Word is grace. Go. Go with grace. Yeah, that's fine. You've got the, G, the E and the R already done. Yeah, redo it. Same thing. Word grace. Spell out the word grace. Hey, if you're already done, go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah. We'll get ready to dive into tonight. You got five seconds. Three seconds. Time. Time. Okay, who got it done with grace? More people got that one done, moved a little quicker. Uh, Let me ask a question. How would you define grace? Huh? Okay, when you get something you don't deserve. Okay, do you see the nuances of it? Mercy, we kind of talked about that, is, you know, when you don't get what you do deserve. You know, grace is when you get something that you don't deserve. Uh, do you see the, the tension even without the conversation? So spiritually speaking, you know, we deserved, we deserve help because of our sin, and God gives us mercy. Not only does He give us mercy, but because of His great love, and because of his grace, it's not only that we don't get punishment, but we actually get salvation, which is the immense beauty of grace. And so tonight we're going to live at the end of this conversation with Jonah as he deals with the Ninevites and does not want God to extend either one of those. So we've been living Jonah chapter, th- uh, we're going to go back to one thing in chapter three, then we'll move into chapter four. If you remember, Jonah's been spit out of the sea creature. He's walked into Nineveh. Nineveh is a town that's just east of the Tigris River. Told you guys it's got eight miles of walls that are 100 feet high, 50 feet thick. It's got 15 towers that are 200 feet tall. I mean, it it is, you could run three chariots side by side around the city. I mean, it is an absolute powerhouse. Their boots have been on the neck of Israel for years. And Israel's been dealing with their oppression. And God sends this guy, Jonah, this prophet, not just a guy, says, go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go there. We know he gets to Nineveh, chapter 3, and we see him preach, you know, that short, that short little sermon that he preaches, you know, where he says uh, right here in verse 4, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Walks a day into the city, takes three days to get through it, walks a day in. He probably looks utterly miserable and preaches an eight-word sermon. And then there you go. Now think about it, if you're Jonah in that moment, I wonder what it took to say those words. We know he doesn't want to go. And, and it doesn't really say, you know, it just says the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh, verse three, or chapter 3, you know, and proclaim to it the message I give you. So at some, some level, I don't know if those are the only words that God gave him or what, but It's a pretty short sermon that he's going to actually give. Pretty compact. Pretty to the point. Sometimes I can be a lot like Jonah in that I hesitate to say the things that God lays in my heart. And I say this, I mean, I hesitate at it. I've told this story uh, at times when I've I've been preaching to high school students at a conference we do called MOVE. And I remember a long time ago, 
I was a youth pastor in, uh, I was back in Oklahoma. And long story short, we had this baseball team at this little bitty Christian school. Little Christian school. And I'm not, a, I'm not a great baseball player. I'm not very good at this at all. I stink at it. Can't play baseball with anything. Uh, I didn't know why I was terrible at it. I just, I couldn't see the ball. I'd watch these people, like, hit the ball. And I'm like, how in the world do they do that? And I remember sitting in the dugout, and I'd kind of watch the pitcher, and then I'd hear it hit the glove, and I would try to calculate how long it took. And, like, I remember, like, playing catch, I was fine. But then I'd get put, like, in center field, and I could no more see that ball coming. Sometimes on the grounder, I'd see it coming. And what I didn't realize is that if I take my glasses off, I can't even see the big E on the chart. Like, can't even see it. I would tell my mom that I needed glasses, and she'd say, you don't need glasses. You just want glasses because Tony Philpott has glasses. And she would not get me glasses. I mean, so I played baseball all growing up, like totally blind, couldn't see the ball at anything. And I would kind of see this blob put his hands up. And I'm like, 1,001, 1,002, swing. And I'd see that ball coming in. I was like, I had no idea, man. And I, my mom kept telling me, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with your vision. Like, I was, I was so blind, man. I couldn't see anything. I think I got glasses to like sixth grade. Then I couldn't see from like second grade, third grade on. You know, I remember I'd be in the classroom like, how do people see what that teacher's writing? Like, I was like, I thought everybody saw how I saw because my mom said I didn't glasses. But I remember, you know, so I wasn't a great baseball player because I couldn't see the ball coming. So finally I got glasses. I'm like, whoa, okay, that's what the world looks like. But anyway, fast forward, I, uh, I'm a youth pastor in Oklahoma. And uh, I go to teach my class one day. And all of a sudden, man, I couldn't get anybody's attention. None of the kids would listen. And I taught senior Bible. So it was a cool little way as a youth pastor. You know, I had, you know, at least one kid at that point in time. He had one son. I thought, man, I can make a little extra money. Teach a Bible class. I'm a youth pastor. I can do that. And then I go going back to work. We're great. Taught like three or four days a week. It was great. It was fun. I walk into class one day and I've got just seniors and no one will listen. No one's paying attention. I'm like, what in the world, man? I can't get anyone to listen. And usually I, I've got a loud enough voice. I'm pretty direct. I can go, hey, 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 let's go. Pay attention. Like I can get kids usually like, all right, we, we're with you. Wouldn't do it. I'm like, I'm getting mad up here. I'm like, hey, like, good night. So finally, I kept trying to walk through the book of Hebrews and teach it. And I finally just closed my notes. And I just stand there looking at them. Tried that whole teacher thing. Like if I just stand real still and quiet, no, nothing. I mean, I'm like doing every trick in the book. And finally, I go, what is wrong? Well, about half the class was in my youth group. I mean, it's a little bitty Christian school. And they're like, you don't know what's going on? I was like, no. No, I don't know what's going on. What, you, what in the world are you talking about? Like, you haven't heard? I was like, no, I haven't heard. And then, long story short, uh, we'll just say the coach had been involved uh, in some very extremely inappropriate behavior. And we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. And... Uh, and so this baseball coach just wasn't like, it was just like going all over the schools or finding this out. You know, it's just rumor mill. So like, oh man, what's a bad deal? You know, we kind of talked about how to process that with the class a little bit. And I was done. I walk out and I see this athletic director walking down the hallway and I look at him. I can't remember his name, you know, Bob, whatever his name was. I can't remember. I yelled at him. I'm like, hey man, I heard what's going on. I didn't yell. It's like, he was like from, you know, me to you guys. I'm like, hey man, he's kind of walking that way. I said, hey, so sorry. I heard what's going on. I was like, man, that, uh, I'm praying for you. You know, I was like, man, just, uh, if there's anything I can do, just let me know. And kind of did that walk away. You know that you said, if there's anything I can do, just let me know, but you don't really mean it. You know, we've, we've all done that. Don't act like you haven't, you know. And I do that like, passive, like, hey, man, pray for you. You know, anything I can do, just let me know. And I kind of turn like run. Because uh, I don't really mean it, to be perfectly honest. And all of a sudden, I kind of get my body like this, like I'm almost away. Like I've just about escaped. He's like, actually, there is. You know, I, I could use your help. I'm like, Ah, crud. I didn't, didn't really mean it. Uh, like, oh, sure. Yeah, you bet. Whatever you need. Uh, and so he goes, can you go to, can you take care of baseball practice for me today? And I'm like, ah, I don't want to do this. I'm like, yeah, you bet. I'm like, baseball. Great. Great. So I show up to practice and a bunch of my kids, my youth group are there and they're just doing nothing. Cause I think this coach hasn't shown up for like a week and a half or something. Uh, he was busy. And so I'm like, oh, great. So I kind of get there and I hang out with the boys. I'm sorry for what's going on, fellas. You know, we kind of have a little bit of discussion and, uh, you know, we, we hang out. They got their girlfriends there with them. No one's paying attention. Come back the next day. I go back to work. The next day, the coach is waiting outside my classroom when I walk out. He's like, hey, man. I'm like, oh, crud. I got a stalker now. Uh, he's like, uh, hey, can, can, you, uh, can you help me out again at practice today? He's like, I, we just got so many, we've got so many things going on. You know, we got track, we got, you know, we had spring soccer, there's lots of stuff going on. I'm like, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, I, I can go get today. So I show up again, you know, at practice, same stuff. 
And by this time, I don't think about baseball or coaching, but my competitive nature comes out. And I said, hey, guys, we're not going to do this. I was like, you guys are still a team. You still got a season to get through. I said, don't do this again. Uh, I said, you show up the next day. Girls, told the girlfriends, do not come back to practice again. You're not welcome here. Don't be here. You can go. Send them out. Left. I had told them to leave right then. Like, be gone, ladies. We're done with this. And I said, fellas, we're here to practice. I said, tomorrow, I don't know who's going to coach you, but you better show up dressed out, ready to practice, ready to go. And I said, this is your last day to get, get this pass to mess around. Like, all right, sorry, you know. Sure enough, next day, hey, Jason. I'm like, oh, crud. I was like, yep, I'll, I'll go. And so I go out there, and he's like, so now i got to lead him in practice. And I remember this vividly. I, remember, I haven't hit a baseball since I was in, like, third, fourth grade. I mean, it's just... How often now in your lives, unless you've got little kids, do you ever just walk out and hit a baseball? Not often, probably, unless you've got little ones. It's just not something you do as a regular habit of your life now. It's just like, it's like you just walk out by yourself and just start cracking baseballs out in the, you know, across the fence of the neighbor's house or anything like that. Most people don't do that often. And I'm kind of at that point like, good night. I think at this point I'm like mid-20s. I'm like, all right, I'm going to play church league softball. You know, I can, I can do this. So I grab the baseball and I'm like, all right, right, here we go, third base. Crack and goes over to the first base. I'm like, oh man, and I can't hit these balls we're supposed to go at all. I look at the catcher like, here, you hit them. So they hit all the infield. Next thing, he's like, hey man, can you, can you, we got a tournament. Can you show up uh, is it on a Friday? Can you just go? They'll lose. Don't worry about it. Single elimination. They'll lose their first game. They haven't won a game all year long. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. So I was like, all right. So I go to there and I'm literally wearing my khaki shorts, t shirt, you know. I got a pair of sandals or tennis shoes on. I got my bag of sunflower seeds. I know it's going to be there for a while. And, and I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm there because they have to have a chaperone, basically. I'm not even there to coach. I'm just there as a chaperone. You know, Blue walks over and he's like, hey, give me your lineup. And I'm like, lineup, boys. I don't care. Uh, I was like, guys, just set your own lineup. I don't, I don't know how you've been playing. I don't know what's going on. And I was like, I set the dugout in sunflower seeds. But I, I feel this quick in my spirit of getting mad at these guys. Because I've got, I know these kids. They're in my youth group. Well, I'd say six or seven of them are, and they're really good athletes, and they're just doing terrible. And I'm like, oh, come on, guys, you're better than this. But I'm like, I'm not going to be a coach. Next thing you know, uh, we have weekend goes by. Next week shows up. He goes, hey, man, we got a game against this, this, this team called Holland Hall, which you know anything about Tulsa, Oklahoma, Holland Hall is like the school. It's like a super rich school, super nice, amazing place. You know, I was like, I'll take them. So we go to Holland Hall. I pull in with my big old nasty Jeep into Holland Hall, and here's like all these beautiful cars all around. I'm like, I'm not sure I should be here right now. You know, kind of feeling this, like, I don't belong here. And they're not even the same. They're like a big private school. We're like this little rinky-dink private school. And, uh, and so we pull in. They got like a whole field, like with green grass. We literally practice like in this park-like facility. What even like our own practice. It was like it belonged to the city. That's where we practice at. And I, will, I mean, I pull up and I'm like, whoa, this is a high school field? Like bleachers and concessions and all of it. I'm like, good grief, gorgeous grass. And then I see these three older guys walk out like wearing uniforms. I'm like, and I don't get why baseball coaches think they should dress like players. That does not make a lick of sense to me. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You look at a baseball coach, he's dressed in full uniform like a player. Can you imagine the wrestling coach did that? Can you imagine that? Coach Hurst walks out in a singlet, like, all right, let's go, guys. Let's just, can you imagine a basketball coach doing that, a pair of gym shorts? And I'm like, you're not getting into play is what I wanted to say to these guys. I'm like, are you kidding? I can't imagine J-Rod, Roderick, put on shoulder pads to go coach. I'm like, bro, you're not playing. You're not getting in the game. You should know this. But anyway, they got three coaches. It's me back in a pair of khakis and a T-shirt coaching my team. And I'm kidding you. I'm not kidding you. We just get, we get killed. First inning, we're probably run-ruled. And it's just miserable. We're just getting annihilated. And I keep looking at these boys going, man, they got good athletes. They just don't have any team. Let's fast forward. There's more to that story, but I'm gonna, I need to get to Jonah eventually. Uh, so the last thing is, by this time, I realize now, like, ah, oh, crud, I'm, I think I may be becoming the coach because if it's at the end of the season. They haven't won a game all year. Like I said, it's a really tiny little private school. And so all these little tiny private schools in Oklahoma – you know, I, I bet their student, their high school student body could have been more than 100 kids. I don't know. I, I bet it wasn't even more than 100. Um, and so I, I'm guessing what their numbers were. But anyway, we, here's the deal. At the state tournament, it's kind of like the old Indiana Hoosiers where anyone can show up. It's one of those tournaments where everybody gets to play. You know, it's kind of like, never mind. They were millennial before millennial was cool. Uh, it's like everybody gets a turn whether or not you're any good at all. Uh, and so 
we, sh- we have to go to the tournament. And so I jump in there, and on the way up, they're teaching me about indicators because I've not done indicators with them at all. And I'm like, I thought that dude had a rash, you know. I'm like, he's like rubbing himself all over, but he wasn't. He's telling him what to do. And we get up there and to this tournament, and I, I walk up, and I'm pretty competitive. And, and we've got the bus booked out for that day, drive all the way to Oklahoma City. And as we get there, um, we walk out in the mound, and we have to be one of the last seated teams. And we haven't won a game all season long. And I walked out in the mound, and this kid named Jackson was pitching. And Jackson's dad was there watching him. And I remember looking at him and saying, Jackson, this is the last day your dad's ever going to watch you play baseball. Like, this is it, man. This is the end of the line for you. I was like, let's win one game, man. And he goes, we can't win, Jason. We're terrible. I was like, Jackson, one game, man. Come on. It's your dad's last game to watch you. I think at that point, if I remember correctly, Jackson's dad was the only parent who came to watch us play that day, from what I remember. Me and Jackson's dad. That's it. And I was like, I was like, come on, bud. Let's do this. I said, your dad has watched you in traveling ball. He's taking you all over. And Jackson was a phenomenal athlete. I was like, one game, Jackson. He's like, I can't do it. I don't know. We're not going to win. And I said, I said, come on. Pitch one great game. He's like, Jason, they're, they're terrible. Our team's terrible. I was like, but Jackson, if they can't hit it, they can't win. I was like, dude, do this. I was like, if they can't hit the ball, they can't win. I took the glove out of his, out of his I took the, the ball away from him. I go, come on, one game. He just goes, all right. Slapped it down. He pitched the lights out. They won their first game of the year. This story keeps unfolding, but like I said, I need to get to Jonah. We won another game that day. We went back home with the bus, and we didn't even have the bus checked out for the next day. Like, it was like a scramble. That's how much the school believed in us. So another, another sport had the bus reserved. And so the coach was like, oh, wow. They'd never won before. Won two, two games in one day. It's unbelievable. Show up the next day. We win another game. And here's the deal you can understand. These guys had athletes. They were not just slouches. I mean, they really were. They had no team. The story goes all the way like this until we get to the very, we make it all the way to the state finals. Okay? This is what, I'm not kidding you, man. I pull it up and show you. Make it all the way to the state finals. And I'll never forget this. We had this big catcher. His name was Reagan. And Reagan was slow as molasses. He wasn't like, he was not fat. He was just like a big, thick farm boy. And he just ran like slow motion. He just was not fast at all. And for that game, Jackson's dad had been coaching third. But on the very last game, Jackson's dad, like, you're taking third. You got us here. You're going to take it home. I'm like, I don't know what to do. The team all voted. I'm on third base. I'm like, I should not be here. I don't know what I'm doing. And I still remember looking over at Jackson. I don't know how he got on base, but this big old slow catcher got on base somehow. And I remember looking over at him. And I remember looking across. He's on first base. I'm on third base. And I look over at him. I get ready to give the indicator. And I stand up and I look at him. And I just go like this. I just run my hand down my arm and across my chest. And he's like, no. He shook his head no at me. (laughs) And I looked at him and I went. And he's like. No, just shaking his head no at me. I'm like, that was a sign for steal. And I looked across and I go, he's like, no. By about that time, I don't know what Jackson's dad was doing, but all of a sudden I see him lean over next to Ray. He's like, Ray looks at him, talks back to me. He looks at me and he goes, no, no. And I go, and both Jackson, Jackson's dad and Reagan are like, no, by this time, I'm not kidding you, the kids in our dugout had their fingers in the chain link going, no, <laughs> no. I could literally feel like at this point, because we came back the next day, you got like little grandmas and moms trying to figure out, they don't even know their son's number at this point, you know, they've shown up for the game like, yay, oh, wrong number, you know, they're holding up, cheering for their kid, they haven't watched them play all year because they're so terrible. I have this, it just feels like everyone in the stands is like, no, don't do it. Whatever he's saying, no. At that point, it almost feels like the other team is telling me like, hey, man, just don't do it. I mean, I just keep looking at him and he would not do it, man. He would not do it. He just stood there, just staring me down. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I looked across this boy and went. He's like, and I could feel it, man. In the game, you, you ever been a part of a game where you feel a momentum shift? Like, I could feel it and I knew that something needed to change. And I just, I just thought, man, if I can just get Reagan to steal, you could, you could shift this game and we could win this today. He wouldn't do it. Hesitation. Get your Bibles before we go to Jonah. And we'll, we'll be back to Jonah. I think it's important to parallel Jonah with Matthew 28. 
I think it's really important to parallel Jonah and Matthew 28. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 28. Two amazing commissions. Jonah's commission and our commission. So a lot of times, if you've grown up around the church in Matthew 28, we are really, really quick to jump into the words, you know, therefore all authority has been given to me, you know, or all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Like, we're really, really quick to jump into that. You know what I mean? Like, we, a lot of us, I, I can't begin to tell you how many sermons I've heard on that text, how many times I've heard that text mentioned, quoted, been around it. I mean, this is one of, next to John three sixteen. this is one of those, like, passages that everybody talks about is the Great Commission. But sometimes I feel like the Great Commission is misunderstood because there's a Jonah part to the Great Commission that we've missed. There's a Jonah part to their story. And you find it in verse 17. It says this. In verse 17, before he says go, like he told Jonah and like he tells us, verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That word doubt, if you have your Bibles, I want you to circle it if you're willing to write in your Bible. If you're not, don't worry about it. If you, if you don't mind it and your person underlines and highlights stuff, I want you to circle that word doubt. If you're on your app or your phone, feel free to highlight it. Because that word doubt is an interesting word. When you think doubt, they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. What, what comes to your mind with doubt? Okay, what comes to your mind with doubt? Disbelief. Lack of faith. The word doubt, if you understand it in the Greek, is a really interesting word. It means to hesitate. Now think about this. Back to Reagan standing on first base. In this moment, what we really realize, part of why Jesus says that Great Commission so emphatically is because they saw him, they worshipped him, but then they hesitated. And that's the part right now. And so you have to realize, in the context of hesitation... In the context of disobedience, in the context of not going where they need to go, that's the context the Great Commission comes out of. That's why Jesus says, he's looking at these guys like, man, you want to look at me, you want to worship me, but you're not moving. Why? It's almost like, why are you still standing here? So what does he do? He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, that's a double-edged sword. If you understand the power of that authority, that's the, that's the authority to, to build creation, the authority to put molecules into action, the authority to sustain you know, earth, not a, not a bird falls that he doesn't realize it. You know, that's the authority to, to, to conquer disease, the authority to, to raise the dead to life, the authority, you know, to, to, to cast the demon out. I mean, you think that's when he says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, that's a big deal. And I, wanna, I don't want to get into the has been. There's some really cool nuances of that. We don't have time to get that tonight because we get to get back to Jonah. But when he says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, that's a critical thing because it basically says like all authority. So I'm commanding you with all authority. And the cool thing is I'm going I'm to tell you to go with all authority. So in the same way that Jonah is sent with the authority of God, I don't want to just so much live in so much in Jonah that you can't see your own, your own parallel in this. In the same way that Jonah is sent with all the authority of God, what Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, and he's going to send you with all authority as well, all of his authority. Okay? But it's interesting that word to hesitate, to stop, that failure to move, that failure to act. For the disciples, I think, it was, I think it was fear. Might have been true for Jonah as well. I'm sure this fear for him. But before we dig too far into Jonah's story, I want us to always keep that in our mind. Do we hesitate like Jonah? Now, at some point, Jonah does a beautiful thing. If you go back, you see it. He shows up. He proclaimed. Those Two words are so important. He proclaimed. Don't, don't rush past those. Don't hurry past those. Don't miss the power of those words. Don't, don't get so caught up in, in just blasting through that you miss the power of what it means when it says he proclaimed. I think a lot of times... Um, we struggle doing what Jonah did, proclaiming. We struggle with that. Jesus says, you're going to be our witnesses, you know, all nations. Therefore, go make disciples, baptizing and teaching. Within all of that is this com component of conversation. Throughout the book of Acts, 
Anytime the Holy Spirit moved in power. Now I want to separate this just for a second. Okay? Would you come to Christ? You accept him. You're baptized into him. There's this beautiful thing that happens called the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Amazing thing. But there's also another dimension beyond just the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I want to make sure I'm physically going to walk side to side in the room so you see. There's no doubt that we receive, receive a gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, but there's all this other, this whole other dimension over here throughout the book of Acts where he talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, keep in mind, he's already talking to believers when he says that. Wait a second. Why would you need to tell a Christian to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I thought you already received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, you did. And you're sealed for salvation with that gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful, amazing thing. But over and over throughout Scripture, Paul continually calls people in the book of Acts, calls them, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every time somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit, nearly every single time in the book of Acts, do you know what they do? Anybody know? Yeah, they speak. They speak. I think we struggle with that. The term in the Greek, it's a really interesting word. It's, it's an automatopoeia. You know what automatopoeia is? It's when a word sounds like the word you're saying. So give me some examples. Automatopoeias. Things that sound like the word you're saying. Pow, great, bang, slap, boom. You know what I mean? It's when we hear a sound and we just call it that sound. There's probably lots of others you could look up on your phone, but those are some great examples. Throughout the book of Acts, when it says to speak, the Greek word for that is laleo. It's like a baby. They just said it. And in fact, it's a word that you don't find anywhere else in in the Greek, in the Bible. Uh, And those times you can't find it in any other writings. It's really unique to to the Bible. Later on, the Greeks will use it all over the place. But early on, Christians used this word. It was used really exclusively in the Word of God. And the word is laleo. It's kind of like a baby going la, 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 la. In fact, laleo is really interesting. It's this moment that as you sit there and you, like even now, as I'm standing here, it doesn't even, I mean, the, the miracle of what it takes to all of a sudden my brain to sit here and begin forming words in my brain. And all of a sudden, those words somehow fire through the neurons down through the different nerve endings in my body. And then all of a sudden, somehow, it can cause my lungs to take in the right amount of air. And I begin to push the air out. And then somehow, my vocal cords tremble and move and do something crazy miraculous. And that air comes out of my mouth. And at the same time, all that's going, my tongue and lips begin to form. And the, and the collision of all of those forces and entities to now project that sound out of my mouth to watch those waves crash across this room to see it go through waves to this invisible object penetrate your eardrums move down into the canal of your ear into your brain all of a sudden fire through your neurons until you can somehow understand all this it's absolutely miraculous it's crazy Leleo. there is a point where the people of God have to do what Jonah did there comes a place where the people of God have to learn to speak again. And I think for many of us, we've forgotten that calling. See, we want to beat Jonah up because he won't go do his job. I mean, honestly, most of us, I've been pretty hard on Jonah. I had a chance to talk to some students this summer at MOVE and I gave this illustration. Let's say that, that uh, you are an ambassador. Okay, you just got a pay raise and a promotion, okay? You are now an ambassador. You're going to have a private driver. You're going to have office staff that work for you. And, uh, and there's a country that you are being sent to amba- an ambassador for, okay? You're being sent out as an ambassador. And all of a sudden, you know, all, some of you guys are thinking, oh, man, I got to go buy a suit now. You know, got to get a haircut. Probably need some nice shoes. Change my wardrobe. You know, some of you ladies are thinking, okay, I'm going to have to get, you know, either am I going to go with a dress? Am I going to go, you know, a little more business casual, business formal like Angela Merkel? You know, what's my look going to be? And I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to be this ambassador, okay? Male or female, you're like, okay, this is my job. I'm an ambassador representing, you know, you can make up the name of whatever country it is. And all of a sudden, you know, you get called by your king and he says, listen, we've got a problem. Um, that little country that you're an ambassador to, and it's a tiny little country that you're going to be ambassador to. They're little. And, and in fact, their weapons of warfare are really, they, they use slingshots. And, uh, and, and that's what they've got. And the king says, listen, uh, they've declared themselves as our enemies. And it's this tiny little island with small population with slingshots. And you're like, well, what? Like, yeah, they've declared themselves as our enemies. 
And you're like, wait, we, we have like thousands and thousands and thousands of tanks. We have an armada of ships. We have the most trained soldiers on the face of the planet. And we've got, you know, four million trained, ready to go, you know, soldiers ready to fight. And we have, I mean, the amount of planes that we've got, the bombs that we've got, the technical skill that we've got. They, this, yeah, they, they've declared themselves at war with us and they're going to use slingshots to over, over, they want to overthrow us. They, they won't. And, and, I, and so the king says, I'm going to send you there. Here's the deal. Here's what I need you to do. Just go make peace with them. Tell them that we don't mean them any harm. In fact, we, we have good plans for them. That we, we want them to prosper and we want them to do well. We're not out to get them. We're not out to harm them. And in fact, we're, we're going to offer our shield of protection for them. We want to see their economy flourish. We want to see their, their culture flourish. We want to see their nation flourish. Uh, we, we don't want to be at war with them. And you're like, well, no, we would just, I mean, we literally, we couldn't even put all of our tanks on their island. I mean, we couldn't even, we couldn't even put our, like our army wouldn't even fit. Like, good night. What are they, what are they thinking? And so you jump on the plane, you fly in, you land in said country. They realize you're ambassador and you walk out and you meet them and, you know, have some conversations. And, you know, you look at the beauty of their island, the beauty of where they live, having conversation with them. Everything's going great. You know, kind of talking about their culture, their heritage, where they come from. On and on discussion goes. You know, finally you get back on the plane, you fly home, and you stand before the king, and he says, Hey, tell me about it. Oh, man, it's great. We had a great visit. Great things took place. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I had, had an opportunity. You know, uh, I learned a whole lot about them and about their island. Uh, you know, uh, you know we, we, we really, we, we had a great dinner. Uh, we went for a walk on the beach. Uh, we really built a great friendship here. Great things taking place. And all of a sudden, if you're the king, what are you asking? Like, well, tell me, uh, the king looks at me, like, tell me, tell me how, how did the offer of peace go? Well, we got really, really busy. We had like this dinner on the beach and then we went out. We had like, we, we kind of messed around over here a little bit, had some conversations and they wanted to introduce me to a lot of people. A lot of things, you know, he said, well, I know, but like, did they accept the offer of peace? Well, I got, I got really, really busy. There was a lot of things going on. I didn't have time and I'm hoping to fly back, you know, and have another conversation with them. Maybe like in the next, like, next few weeks, we're going to circle back up. You know, I kind of, I told him, I told him I would get back in touch with them and I'd follow up with them. Uh, and what would you think if you were the king talking to your ambassador? What would you say to your ambassador who was sent to give an offering of peace and never even got around to giving the message? What would you say? Yeah, service all over here. You know, if you want to, if you want to pull the apprentice, you know, that moment you're fired. You know, that's what it would probably be. Like you just wouldn't want these people. You just like you're done. Turn me real quick. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, chapter five. Second Corinthians, chapter five. This all ties back to Jonah. Just hold on, buckle up. We'll get there. Second Corinthians, chapter five. Some of you are like, oh crud! I know right where he's going now. Here's what it says: Second Corinthians five. Second Corinthians five, verse fourteen. It says, "For Christ's love compels us, for we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died." 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15 says, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them is raised again. Let's skip down now to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Now we're going to skip down to verse, go to 18. It says, And all this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself and Christ. Think of the Ninevites, not counting men's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How are you doing as an ambassador? How's it working out for you? How's it working out for me? I'm dealing with that right now. It's so easy for me to beat the thunder out of, you know, Jonah, who's dead and gone, not here today. Oh, Jonah, supposed to go to the Ninevites, wouldn't do what he's supposed to do. God told him to go, man, and he wouldn't obey. He got thrown into the belly of a large fish, you know, because he wouldn't do what God told him to do. Yeah, that old Jonah bought the ticket, got on the boat. It's easy for me to rip this guy up one side and down the other. 
But here's the truth of the matter. Sometimes I feel like I might be Jonah. I might be Jonah. That God has told me over and over and provided opportunity after opportunity for me to be his ambassador. You have people who unwittingly have set themselves up in opposition to sovereign God. Not realizing that they're coming to God with slingshots. And I'm not talking slingshots like David used a slingshot. I'm talking the dumb little wrist rocket that doesn't stand a chance. Like, you're really going to set yourself up against a living God? A God who has all the power to snuff your life out? A God who has all the power to the snap of his fingers can literally just shut down your heart, shut down oxygen. You really want to be at war with him? We come bringing this message of hope and reconciliation, saying he doesn't want to be at war with you. He wants peace. He wants you to do well. He wants to be in your life. His plans for you are good. His plans are not to harm you. You know, he wants to welcome you in. He wants to provide his protection over your life. But instead of doing that, we sometimes, myself, are content to talk about the weather, the chiefs, any other point of conversation except what really matters, and that is let Leo. To speak in his name. I think sometimes we can be a lot like Jonah. And those two words he proclaimed are hard words. They might be the hardest two words in Jonah. He proclaimed. We live in a culture sometimes we think that people are going to know we're Christians and know we're believers because we're nice. They say they'll know you're, you're his disciples by your love. But there's nothing that ever says that being a nice person and being really kind to people... I mean, you want to realize throughout Scripture, the key to being filled with the Spirit, if you want God to move bold in your life, follow the pattern of the book of Acts. And nearly every single time somebody was filled with the Spirit, they opened their mouths and they spoke. Almost every time. I would say this. If you have a life and you don't feel like the Holy Spirit is doing something amazing in you right now, you're like, man, I know I have this Holy Spirit, but I don't really sense anything happening with it. Like, I kind of grew up being a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit. It's as if he was JV God. You know, in some ways, you know, you got the father, you got the son, and then you kind of got the JV, Holy Spirit. But you have to understand throughout scripture, God and Holy Spirit are used interchangeably. And I know we articulate that, well, we know the Holy Spirit is God, but sometimes our words and our actions can, can convict us. What do we really believe the Holy Spirit is God? Do we really believe that? I mean, we think a lot of times it would be great in our life if Jesus could just be with us. John 14, 6, Jesus tells us something incredibly important. Uh, it's John, not for John 14, 6, it's later than that. It might be 14, 6, I can't remember. Uh, 17, it is 17. Yeah, you're right, 76. It's this moment where, where Jesus tells him, man, it's better for me to go. So a lot of times we think, man, if I could just hang out with Jesus, you know, if I could just have a cup of coffee with Jesus, everything would be better. You know, everything would be awesome in my life if I could just be with Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, no, that would not be better. It would not be better. At that time, Jesus is a physical body. So he's going to hang out with you. He's going to come over and hang out with you. Then he's going to over and hang out with you. But he's like, no, 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 that's not better. That's not better. In fact, he says, I'm, in fact, it's better for me to leave. Jesus, as much as we want Jesus here with us, he says, it's better for me to go. Because if I go, I can send you the advocate, the counselor. He says, it's better for me to go because I can send you the spirit that can dwell in you. So we talk about this moment of salvation, and I'm not going to parse out when the Holy Spirit comes into you. We're just not going to go down that road right now. But there's this moment of salvation when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and salvation has come to you. But I think for a lot of us, we're like, if this Holy Spirit's so great, why don't I sense him more? If this Holy Spirit's so awesome, then why is my spiritual life so mundane? Like, why is it boring kind of spiritually? Why don't, why don't I feel alive like the Spirit's supposed to make me feel alive? And what I go back to this is, there's a difference between having the gift of the Holy Spirit as it relates to salvation. But as you look at the book of Acts, believers were often, often, often filled with the Holy Spirit with power. And nearly every single time that happens is when? Laleo. When they speak. You know what the Holy Spirit loves to do more than anything else? Talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. You put yourself in a place where you're no longer afraid to talk to Ninevites. You put yourself in a place where you'll be having conversations about Jesus, his salvation, his power. And then all the Holy, the Holy Spirit's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing here? You want to you do something fun. 
All right, you're going to need me now. And you're like, I don't know what to say. Scripture says, when you, you don't say the word, the Spirit will give you words. Words will be given to you. And all of a sudden, over here, salvation, this act of salvation that's come to you, Spirit's inside of you. I think at times the Spirit says, man, I don't want to just be inside. I want to come alive in you. I want to fill you. I want to do absolutely bold, amazing, beautiful things in you. But at some point, if you want that, then you, you test this. Not from a point of like showing God, but I mean a point of like, God, I, I want to put you in a place where you can prove it. I want to put you in a place where you can prove it. There's a difference between testing God and asking God, God, I want to put you in a place where you can prove your power. And he's like, okay, that means it's not for you, it's for him. You put yourself in this place where you will proclaim like Jonah did? Or like, let me just read some of these. Check this out. Acts 4.1, as they were speaking. Acts 4.17, they were not to speak. They were commanded not to speak. They cannot stop speaking. Your bondservants may speak. Acts 4.29, I mean, speak, 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 speak. It is all through the scriptures. The importance of opening your mouth. And the point is, is that, man, being nice is not the solution. At some point, Jonah could not go to Nineveh and just have the nicest yard in Nineveh. They just wouldn't do it. He couldn't just go to Nineveh and like, I'm just going to like lead by my example. No, he was sent to Nineveh with a message. I think the same is true with us. God has sent us with a message. And are we willing to do those two words? Will we proclaim? Here's Here's the thing I need you to hear. Proclaim the name of Jesus. That's the kicker. Not just talk about your church. Proclaim and talk about Jesus. Because that's what the Holy Spirit loves to do. And when you put your life in a place you'll proclaim Jesus and you'll talk about him, I'm telling you, man, I don't know how it'll manifest in your life, but I know my palms start sweating and all of a sudden my heart rate is up and all of a sudden I start getting inclinations and words and ideas that wouldn't even come to me on their own. And I'm like, man, God shows up in amazing ways. I'm having this conversation. I walk away and I'm like, I'm not sure what just happened, but that was amazing. Holy Spirit filled me in that moment. We're like, well, I thought the Holy Spirit meant that, you know, like he would do miracles. Well, he did a lot of miracles throughout the book of Acts. But you understand the point of a miracle was always to point to Jesus. Always. Every miracle that's done is to testify to who Jesus is. Miracles are never to draw attention to ourselves. We wonder, why don't we see miracles like we do in the book of Acts? Probably because the Spirit knows we may take credit for that. We wouldn't use it to point people to Jesus. The point of the Spirit is to point, excuse me, the role of the Spirit is he loves to point people to Jesus. Can you put your life in a place like Jonah where you laleo, you speak? Can't emphasize that enough. I think that is a forgotten thing in the church today. And I don't mean Christ Church for Ogo, I mean the broader church. Folks, we've forgotten how to open our mouths and talk about Jesus. We will talk about immigration. We'll talk about the flag and whether you should bow a knee or shouldn't bow a knee. We'll talk over here about whether or not we like or don't like Trump. We'll have conversation about everything in the world, but there is radio silence when it comes to Christians literally speaking Jesus' name, who he is, and what he does. Radio silence, man. We have gone off the grid. I mean, I I think at some level, the greatest barrier for us to break, like it was for Jonah, when it says he proclaimed, when it says he proclaimed, that's a laleo moment, where he has to stand in front of all these people. He's terrified. You talk about palm sweat and heart racing. At some point, the neurons fire in his brain. At some point, his chest and insides begin to quiver. And he takes a deep breath, and the neurons fire, and the air comes out of his lungs, and it crosses his vocal cords, and it comes out, and his tongue and mouth forms words. And I don't know, maybe it was like the book of Acts. I don't even knew the language. Maybe the Holy Spirit even enabled him to speak in the Assyrian language. I, don't, I have no idea. But at some point, Jonah had to leleo, and then let God do the rest. I think one of the greatest barriers we struggle to break in the church is the sound barrier. I think we struggle with it. Jonah struggled with it. I struggle with it. I do. It's amazing that sometimes we'll sit down at a Starbucks, we start talking about Jesus, and watch your countenance. Does your voice get quieter? Do you find yourself beginning to whisper? Is that moment where you get the scriptures out in a public place that all of a sudden it gets a little bit more uncomfortable? The thing I'll tell you is, in Acts 4.13 it says this, They saw their courage, realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Check out the first part of that verse. When they saw their courage. When they saw their courage. 
Understand, they saw their courage long before they believed in Jesus, long before they even heard the message that they had to say when they saw their courage. And I think there's a place for us, I think even for Jonah, when he shows up in the middle of that town, saying the message that he said, I have no doubt the Assyrians are like, whew, give that boy something. He's got courage. I think there's a place for Christians to become courageous once again in our faith. And understand, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. Courage does not mean, you know, with conflict. Courage does not mean caustic. Courage can be done with grace and tact, but there is a point where as a believer, if you don't leleo, why? So do a little heart searching right now. If you're not practicing leleo in your own life, are you really all that different than Jonah? Jason? Yes. This is just something that keeps going through my mind, but like if we're struggling with courage to speak, I know my own yeah. how I've worked through this, is if I'm being with Jesus, just like they were with Jesus, I know it's different and <clears throat> we're not physically with him. But the Holy Spirit's in you. They never had that. Yes. But, you know, I think in our society, there are a lot of people speaking and nobody's listening hmm. because they're not recognizing that they've been with Jesus. Hmm. And I think the marker for that would be love. That's what I Yeah. Paul say. says that, you know, you can do all things, but if, if it's not done with love, then you're just, you know, a resounding gong or, or, or a clanging cymbal. And so I would say exactly what you're true is that, and I even go so far as to say another step further, you're dead on. It's time with Jesus. But even there are some Christians who can spend time with Jesus and become more dogmatic, more legalistic, and more caustic. How do you spend time with Jesus and allow your love to lead to Leleo? And that's that's know, great. That's the beauty of being able to ask him. Mm. Ask that's great. Oh, that's great. No, you're dead on. It can't just be Leleo without love. You know, it can't be. Uh, that, that is never beneficial. You know, we've seen the people that try to witness. Uh, you know, and honestly, that's why... I don't want to go down that road. There's nothing beneficial in that. All right, let's get back to Jonah here. Enough on my Laleo comments. It's just heart passion of mine is I love what Jonah does there. He speaks. So we've already read this. It says, uh, when God saw what they did, and how they, uh, verse 10 of chapter 3, and how they turned from the evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. So here's the deal. I may be wrong on this, but my impression is that Jonah has hung out just outside of Nineveh for 40 days. That's my impression of this text. I don't know where he gets food. I don't know where he gets water. I don't know how he sustains life. I don't know if he's, you know, if, if it's, a, you, know, you know, Elijah and, and the Ravens type moment. I don't know, but he's hung out waiting. And, and in this moment, I think he's waiting for a Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, fireworks show, man. He's like, God is going to bring it on them, man. And he sets up someplace up on a hillside, you know, out the middle of nowhere, crosses his arm, is like, yep, you're going to get yours, man. I've done that in my life. I won't go into details, but I told you guys I had a Nineveh, and I told you that I would take care of it, and I did. I have not been able to have the conversation, but I did call and leave a voicemail. That person at this point has chosen not to call me back. But there's a bit of crossed arms I've had with my Nineveh. And man, if you've got somebody in your life that's your Nineveh, and we talked about maybe an individual, maybe a people group. For me, it's an individual. Um, that I, it, it's, it's, They've just caused so much trouble, so much mess, that I'm just kind of done with them. You know what I mean? Done with those people. Done with this situation. Done with this person. And as much as I want to say that it's in, in a healthy context with boundaries, I'm not sure it's entirely healthy. I think I, I'm checking my own heart in this. Sometimes we can say our Nineveh can be another race. It can be another religion. It can be another socioeconomic group. You know, we, we talked about this conversation. And at some point we sit back going, is God just going to wipe them off the face of the planet? God going to wipe them out, man. Take them out. You know, we can look at, at, at countries in the world that we tend not to like a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, come on, we got them. You know, we, we can go through and give our list of the people we think that are so different than us, we got nothing in common. And it doesn't take a big jump to move from differences to disdain. Short jump, man. Short jump to go from differences to just absolute downright dislike. Jonah's there. 
He wants these people to fry, man. He wants God to bury them. He says, but Jonah, but Jonah was greatly displeased. The actual literal translation of verse 1 would be, it was evil to Jonah with great evil. That's a literal translation. That he considered what God to do to be evil. Okay, I can't even, anger doesn't quite scratch at it well enough. He was, it was evil with great evil that God did not destroy them. I don't know how to convey the hatred he's got for Nineveh, but it is absolutely immense. It's interesting now, though, that Jonah now became evil in God's eyes. He says, he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who... Understand, he's saying this with an angry tone. I, I can't even read it in that tone, but you have to read this. Like, I can't find the muster to read this in the tone. He's ticked when he's saying these words to God. We read them as if they're beautiful and poetic. You know, he reads this as if it's a bad thing when he talks about Jehovah. He's like, you know, I knew that you're, I can't read it mean. I knew that you're gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. I've got to relent from sin and calamity. Now, Lord, take, my, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. You know, part of it's like a little kid crossing their arms and stomping their feet and going to their bedroom is what it, it feels like a little bit. He's literally mad at God for being gracious. <laughs> I mean, to his credit, he told God why he was mad. I'll give him that. I think sometimes we get angry at God and we're afraid to admit what our problems are with him. I still remember, and I don't have time to go down that story, I still remember a night where I lost it with God. I had had enough of him. Uh, and I lost my mind in, in, in a very unhealthy way in prayer. And uh, I'll just tell you, man, I, <laughs> this is not godly. I was so mad at him that I began saying expletives. We'll just say that. I was ticked. Bad words, foul words. I was by myself standing out on the beach in San Clemente, California, just mad at God angry at him, ticked at him, been praying for five nights and I couldn't even get so much as an answer prayer and I lost my mind. And then God answered. That's a whole nother story. He answered in a way that is the most definitive act of God in my life. But I don't know, some of the think as much as we think God can't handle our worst moment and you're thinking, you said bad words to God. He can't, oh, he's going to strike you dead. Probably should have. There are times I think that God would rather have that than this pseudo God bless my fruit loops kind of prayer that's just boring and not real and inauthentic and just blasting through another one. I think God looked at me that night in San Clemente and I think he's like, all right, you want to talk. It's that moment in Job. You get your Bibles, turn to Job real quick, Job 38. I think there's a balance in all of this. You know, Job gets to this point where he's so upset with God, so irritated with what's going on in his life. He handled me a little bit differently than how he handled Job, but here's what he does with Job. God listens to Job go on and on and on and on and on, and then all of a sudden, God in Job 38, it's not that he shows up, it's that God chooses to leleo. <laughs> And here's what he says to Job. I love this. Job 38 says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. So let's stop there. You got to understand, to speak over a storm is with authority. To speak in a storm, you have to speak up. And I think what that means is out of the storm is God's voice is booming like thunder. Just. And here's what he says. He says, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man and I will question you. That's where you just pee a little if you're a prophet, man. That's just like, whoa. When Jehovah says that, it's like, uh-oh. Like, I don't know if you can remember a moment where your kids have pushed you beyond your limit. And it's like, oh, no, you didn't. And it's like, here we go. It's like, or if you can remember doing that to your dad, I still remember my ticket off my dad to the point where, man, that was a bad day. Okay? And it was really like brace yourself like a man type moment. And God just, he goes on, we got to read it because it's fun. He says, brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. 
says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Oh, surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what wood footing set? Who laid its cornerstones while the morning stars came together? And will all the angels shout out for joy? Who shut up the sea behind its doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds a garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed the limits for it and set its, its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no further? Here's where the proud waves halt. And he just keeps going. Have you ever given orders to the morning? Showed the dawn its place? That it may take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? And he just keeps going on and on, just blasting Job. So in this moment, I love the way God continues to answer him. The Lord said, have you any right to be angry? Have you any right to be angry? <clears throat> got to keep in mind, not just the Ninevites, but why are some reasons why Jonah might be mad? Give me some reasons. Okay, his family's back in Israel. He's now in Nineveh. Who knows how long this journey's been even to this point. We know he gets somewhere out in the middle of the ocean. He's in a fish for a few days and then he winds up in Nineveh. He's been 40 days up here waiting for the whole city to be wiped out and it's still there. So you get, you get a good period of time that's passed now. Might be fair, Sam. What was his occupation? What was Jonah's occupation? Prophet. Yeah, we know that. What did Jonah just tell Nineveh? Go back and read chapter 3. What did Jonah say would happen? Read, somebody read that at your table. Jonah chapter 3. Okay. Did you read at your tables? 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. He's disappointed, man. He's like, God, I told these people you were going to destroy them. I mean, he's embarrassed. He's, he's red hot mad at this point. He's waited his 40 days. You know, it's kind of like that guy that, you know, predicts that, you know, last Saturday the whole world's going to end. It's like, eh, it didn't. You know, here's Noah. He's one of those guys now. 40 days, all of Nineveh's going to be destroyed. And they all start weeping and crying and changing and sackcloth and ashes and all the stuff. Noah goes up on the hillside. He's like, let's get them, God. 40 days goes by. God didn't wipe him out. I think Jonah feels like a failure right now. I think he feels like, God, you left me. You abandoned me. I told these people he wiped out. You didn't. God, I did my job. You didn't do your job. God, I did what I was supposed to do. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. And God says, have you any right to be angry? To me, Jonah's description of God in those previous verses. If you get your, if you get your Bibles, why don't you flip over to Exodus chapter 34. When he describes God in the previous verses, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Can I get somebody? Yes. I was just going to say, like, um, I think that there's probably a lot of anger, too, just him going, God, why didn't you let me in on what you were going to do in the first place? Yeah. Like, you dragged me all the way here to tell these people this thing, and then either you change your mind or you all the time, the whole time had different plans. Almost like, you didn't let me in on this. Yeah. You dragged me through this. We, he does say... I knew you'd do this, basically, the verse before. Yeah, I, I, think, I think maybe when he first gets the call, he knows God's going to be merciful. Do you notice at the end of his prayer in the belly of the fish, he says, well, God is never going to, the people who are unrighteous are never going to be okay with God. So now I'm going to do what you told me to do right after God saved him. And I think that's him telling himself, yeah. these people don't have a prayer. I'm going to go and And they're going to get wiped out. And because what? God's too holy for Let's look at some of the verses Jonah would have known as a boy. Some of the stories he would have heard. And why that would have shaped his heart. All right, somebody at your table, can I get volunteers to read these? We're going to read some scriptures real quick. I'm going to press pause on the pause. Actually, podcast people, I'll read these to you. Um, can I get a volunteer willing to read Exodus 34, 6 through 7 at your table? Raise your hand. Okay. Got a volunteer? Or somebody willing to take all of them? We don't have to do all of these. Somebody else read Numbers 4, 18. All right. Yeah, we'll just do these as a group. We'll do that. Who's got Exodus 34? We'll do them as a group. Okay, back there. You got numbers, right? Somebody will take Nehemiah 917. Who will take Nehemiah 917? Any takers? Going, going, got it. Let's do a couple more. Um, Psalm 8615. Who will take that one? Any volunteers? You got it? Psalm 8615. Can I get somebody to take Psalm 103, 8 through 12? Psalm 103, got it? Okay. Let's do a couple more. Psalm 145, verse 8. 
Who's got that one? 145 verse 8 is Psalm. 145 8. Uh, we'll do two more and we'll quit. Joel 2, uh, 13 through 14. Anybody want to take Joel 2, 13 to 14? Any volunteers? Joel 2, 13 to 14. Got it? One more. Nahum. Somebody's like, I don't even know how to find Nahum. It's all right. There's, there's a table of contents at the beginning of your Bible. Nahum 1 3. Somebody got that one? Got it. Oh, you got Nahum already. All right, here we go. Let's do these. We're going to fire through these. Listen up. Uh, we're going to look at some of the things that Jonah would have known about God. Exodus. Somebody read that one real loud so we podcast people can hear you. Exodus 34, 6, 7. Sorry. Numbers 14.18. Who's got that one? I'm sorry. I thought you said 4.18. Oh, my bad. We will wait. Numbers 14.18. All right. 14.18. All right. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Okay. Somebody got uh, Nehemiah 9.17. Who's got that one? Got it. Okay. Psalm 86.15. Who's got that one? Okay, go ahead. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 103.8-12. Who's got that one? Okay. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. One forty-five eight in Psalms. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Okay. Oh, you got that? Is that still go or no? I may not giving you enough. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's I had more true. verses, but I did not write them all down. Yeah. Joel two thirteen and fourteen. All right, and last one, Nahum. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of the earth. Okay, so I give you that overwhelming amount of Scripture to realize Jonah knew this about God's nature. He knew it, man. He knew it, man. And so you find it, in the Lord, it says, Jonah went out and he sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter. He sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. It says, the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. That is the first time this grumpy old prophet gets happy at all. Only time in the whole book Jonah's happy is when his physical needs are being met even though other people's spiritual needs are going unmet. Okay, do not race past that statement. Slow down and listen to that one. Because if you let that one settle just a little bit, it's going to haunt you tonight when you go to bed. Jonah's happy when his physical needs are met. It's the only time when he's happy, even at the expense and full knowledge that the people around him, their spiritual needs are going unmet. Is that ever true of us? That we're happy as long as everything with us is right. As long as everything in our house, everything in our little domain right now is going right, we just don't literally have a care in the world. Sometimes that translates to a care for the world. It's the only time Jonah is happy is when everything's going his way 
and he's all comfortable. It's crazy how, how much we live and long for that, that physical comfort in our lives. When everything to be okay, everything to be good, everything to be set, the bills to all be paid, the hot water heater to be working, you know, no leaks in the roof, the cars are all running, nothing needs, you know, the grass doesn't even need cut for crying out loud. I mean, literally, you stand there in your house in this, you know, momentary oasis and think, it is well with my soul, okay? That's Jonah. He's very happy about the vine. Even the best of people. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.